0: Acts One, Part One, from the sermon series "Acts of the Holy Spirit," spoken by Pastor David Hosang. Good morning, or good afternoon, whatever it is now. Uh, still morning. Morning, Metro. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our community online. Welcome to our community back there behind us in the nursery, and welcome to you here live in the house. For joyful parents and restless children, this was back to school week. <laughs> and I hear, hear a few sighs of amens and uh, thanksgivings. <laughs> One highlight of mine was um, some of our male staff going over to uh, Jane Dismas Middle School in Inglewood and forming an honor guard along with about 80 other men uh, for the returning students. The principal asked particularly men to come because boys did not, do not naturally perform very well at this school. And as we gathered inside the main building for a little bit of an orientation, uh, many were sweating as there was no air conditioning. And I wondered if there was no air conditioner or the air conditioning was not on. And I kind of wondered whether this was a justice issue in education. Last Sunday, we completed the very relevant series on justice matters. We're reminded that these issues are not ultimately political, social, economic, or environmental ones, but justice matters with God. God calls his people in Micah 6 verse 8 to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And this certainly applies to us. Pastor Kevin challenged us to take at least one of these issues and make some personal application. And he did not mention his application on immigration. And I will not mention my application on sexism. But nevertheless, I think this is an ongoing work of ours as we seek to pursue justice as well as mercy in World. This Sunday, we actually begin a new series, as Pastor Kevin mentioned, which is really a true sequel to our earlier series that we did last year and the beginning of this year. We looked last year and the beginning of this year at Luke, where we looked at his story, history, the story of Jesus' life, who Jesus is, what he said, what he did. Primarily in his death and resurrection, and the seismic significance of this history defining event. Sometimes, particularly in movies, sequels can be very disappointing. But Luke does not disappoint us here with a gripping sequel of the book of Acts, where he tells the true story of what Jesus continued to do and to teach through the Holy Spirit. Working in the life of the church. But before we begin our adventure, let's pray. Father, we've been singing earlier on about your Holy Spirit. We have often sung and we will sing later Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And just as the early church in Acts fully embraced the presence and power of your spirit in their midst. We pray that we would fully welcome and embrace the spirit here right now as our counselor, our guide, our teacher, and even as our Lord. Pray this in your name and the name of Jesus, who sent the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, looking at the congregation, I suspect that we have come from a variety of very different church backgrounds. So let me see the hands of those who first came to Metro, who are here at Metro, who have little or no background in church. This is kind of one of your first churches. Yeah, I see a a few hands here. My hunch. Uh, and unless you're you're sleeping or sitting on your hands, most of us have had some sort of a church church background. And um, I wonder if it's similar to one of these two types of churches, which I'll now describe. The first is the church of devoted fanaticism. There are services, their are meetings, their are events almost every day of the week. You're never at home, you're busy, you're tired, and perhaps even exhausted, and you may have even have gotten disillusioned with the church. And maybe some of you have taken shelter here at Metro. Then there's the church of passive bench warming where a small percentage of people serve. They're mostly SMOs, Sunday morning only people, Lots of VNPs, just very nice people, but not deep or passionate about the Lord and about relationships. And this could perhaps be a little discouraging for some. For my wife, Betty, and I, when we were living in Southern California, we attended a church that was about half an hour away from us. Our small group met in the town in which we lived, and we began dreaming of maybe having somewhere where we could invite our unchurched or dropout friends and family, and so we began studying the Book of Acts. And one of the things that we lighted on was Acts two forty two, and they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And uh, we were very inspired by that and longed to be an Acts two forty two community. We attended a church planting um, conference. We were reminded that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, but the local church is the hope of the world through him. Our senior pastor enthusiastically supported this dream, and we embarked on this exciting adventure, and the church is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. And this is also somewhat similar to Metro. Uh, 14 years ago, Pastor Pista, Pastor Peter, Pastor Shirley and others embarked on this exciting adventure of a church plant a church birth. Whether or not you have read prayerfully through the book of Acts, I exhort you to do so either at one sitting or in chunks and also to make time to read and reflect those passages that are scheduled for each Sunday, which are much shorter. If you're not too familiar with the Book of Acts as a young Christian uh, or a, a seeker, you may see some events that may seem rather strange, even kind of weird, like a sorcerer trying to buy the Holy Spirit from the apostles, like an earthquake and potential jailbreak, but no one moves and no one tries to escape, like a church member falling asleep after one of Paul's long and boring sermons, falling through the window and dying and being brought back to life. But there are also many exciting, inspiring stories of how the Holy Spirit used the apostles in very mighty ways. So, read the book of Acts, at your own risk because you're in grave danger of being transformed by the Spirit of God. So before we actually get into the book of Acts and look at the first 11 verses of chapter 1, let's just make two brief preliminary observations which will help us to understand the book of Acts better. First observation is that Acts portrays God's power not church perfection. It is very easy for us to idealize and romanticize and to get nostalgic about the church and say, why can't we be like the early church of Acts? And, you know, we say so a good reason because we get excited and inspired at the display of God's power in the church. The early church was one of focused purpose and divine power. For example, Uh, when on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, almost about 3,000 people came to know Jesus. There are miracles where crippled from birth get healed and where even dead people get raised from the dead. But the church was not a perfect church, as evidenced by cultural discrimination, such as the Jewish are make speaking widows getting preferential treatment over the Jewish Greek-speaking uh, widows. There's also racial prejudice, as Pastor Sunita um, used the Acts 10 passage, where the Jewish Christian Peter is really prejudiced against Gentiles, and God had to show him in a very, very visionary way not to be prejudiced. There are also theological conflicts between conservatives and liberals, Conservatives wanted the Gentile converts to obey the law, including being circumcised. The more liberal says, no, we don't need to do that. There's also a big fight between Paul and Barnabas because of Barnabas's flaky relative who um, opted out on the missionary journey. So it was not a perfect church. But with all its imperfections, the church in Acts allowed God to help them resolve these very difficult and painful issues. Second preliminary organization, ACTS provides church principles, not church prescription. In our recent course of Bible interpretation, and I see a few who were in class a few weeks ago, we noted that ACTS falls under the literary genre of narrative history. So while Luke may have chosen some particular historical events for some particular purpose, we must make a distinction between what the Bible reports as an event and what the Bible teaches as a practice. So, for example, when Acts chapter 5 describes how Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by God, for the partial lie about their financial contribution to the church, we can't conclude that God is gonna strike dead everybody who tells lies in church. In fact, if that were the case, Metro would be empty this morning or this afternoon because we have all lied, we've all sinned. But in this situation, I believe there's a principle that God is a holy God and that God's holiness needs to be exercised, particularly at critical times in the life of the church. As a hard example, the description of what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the Jewish Pentecost, and what happened in the Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 10, must also be interpreted in the light of the teaching passages in the New Testament letters, such as 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. But I leave this to the main preachers of our Acts series. So to lay our foundations for this study on the book of Acts, we're gonna be looking at the first 11 verses of Acts chapter one, and highlight four very prominent important features of Acts. So feature one, important feature. Acts represents Jesus' continuing work, not the Spirit's separate actions. So we begin reading the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, on the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. These two opening verses of the book of Acts reveals a number of things about the book. The author of Acts is the same author as the Gospel of Luke. He is Luke, the medical doctor, beloved friend and missionary partner of the apostle Paul. His presence is corroborated in the book of Acts in the so-called we passages, W-E passages, where where the we occurs in Paul's second and third missionary journey as well as his voyage to Rome as prisoner. And Luke was probably his attending physician on the voyage to Rome. The former book in verse 1 refers to the gospel of Luke, which we studied last year and the first part of this year. The addressee of Acts is the same as that of Luke. His name is Theophilus, which means lover of God. He's probably a Gentile, very interested in the good news about Jesus, and perhaps Luke's patron in the whole venture of writing. So the Gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach until the time of his death resurrection and ascension that ends the book of Luke. The book of Acts tells what Jesus continued to do and teach through the promised spirit operating in the church. So there's definitely a very close organic continuity between Luke volume one and Acts volume two. In fact, there's evidence that Luke and Acts circulated early together as, as, as one work. Now, in Jesus' farewell address to his disciples in John 13 through 17, called the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus promised them that he and God the Father would send another advocate, counselor, who would be with them and in them. He went on to describe that this counselor is the Holy Spirit who would teach them everything and remind them of everything that he taught them. Furthermore, the counselor would be Jesus' replacement, another counselor, who would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three very non-politically correct topics today. So, this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in John 14 and 16, is the same Holy Spirit counseling the apostles to wait in Jerusalem. It is the same Holy Spirit that is poured out on the 120 on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Also, if you want an excellent summary as to who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is, uh, read Romans chapter eight. So after Jesus left planet Earth in his ascension, he continued to work through the Holy Spirit in the early church as we find in the book of Acts. Acts ends with chapter 28 and Jesus continues to write Acts 29 and beyond until he returns. Metro Church is part of Acts 29 story and beyond. And so, as I reflected on it and as you reflect on it, what story are we allowing God to write in our church under the guidance and power of his Holy Spirit? Or if you want to go more individually, what story am I? And are you allowing God to write as we are guided and empowered by the Spirit? More about this feature under feature three. So, feature one, Acts represents Jesus' continuing work. Feature two, Acts emphasizes Jesus' resurrection, not preachers' successes. We pick up in verse three of Acts chapter one. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them in a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The reality, importance, and cruciality of Jesus' resurrection is highlighted by Luke. Luke makes it a point to emphasize the convincing proofs of Jesus' appearances over a 40 day period. As the Apostle Paul elaborates in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely, absolutely essential to the good news about Jesus. According to Paul, if Jesus is still dead, we are liars, no hopers, pitiful fools whose faith and preaching is useless. The resurrection of Jesus is what separates the message of Christianity from the message of other faiths, such as Buddhism, or Islam. The remains and founders of these religions lie in their graves. The grave of Jesus is empty. No one home. The once fearful, depressed disciples at Jesus' death now become bold and eager to share the good news even under the threat of arrest, imprisonment, and even death, as we see in the book of Acts. As you look at the book of Acts, the sermons recorded there place a very strong emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes there are major results of the apostles' preaching, like what happened at Pentecost. About 3,000 people became Christians. Sometimes there's little or no positive results. But the constant factor of the sermons recorded in the book of Acts, the common denominator is the emphasis on Jesus's resurrection. And this message was often the polarizing point of people stopping to listen. Case in point, when Jesus is addressing the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers in Athens, Acts chapter 17 said, they said this foolishness, let's not listen to this guy. So we who are believers in Jesus' resurrection must be bold. We must be emphatic about affirming the powerful, supernatural, unique event of the resurrection of Jesus, not just at Easter when we do so, but throughout the year. Some of us are from church backgrounds, where the emphasis is on salvation, vertical and future. Some of us are from church backgrounds, where the emphasis is on salvation, horizontal and present. But this is not an either or, but a both and situation. When we receive God's salvation through Jesus, we are reconciled to God vertically our relationship with God changes we ought to be reconciled horizontally even if some of these situations seem humanly impossible when we receive the resurrection life it is a future eternal hope that when we are raised on the final day there will be no more sin no more sickness no more suffering no more death But the resurrection life is more than that. It is the present, confident hope we have that God can transform even our impossibly dead situations today. So if we believe that God spectacularly and supernaturally raised Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave, we can believe that God can resurrect dead and dead-ended hopeless lives, perhaps yours or someone close to you. We can believe that he can resurrect hopelessly dead relationships, whether in families, friendships, or even marriages. Four years ago when Betty and I came to Metro, right here in the front, I had the privilege of praying with a mom whose son's life was heading towards a dead end, figuratively and literally. She had been praying for him for years and dared to believe that against all odds, the God of resurrection, of course with his cooperation, could give her son the resurrection life that she had. Four years later, this son is now a responsible family man, married to a wonderful Christian woman, blessed with a beautiful child, and who early this year publicly professed his faith in Jesus. We know his mom. She's probably here this morning and probably parading her grandson because the son and daughter are vacationing while she and the other grandma look after this beautiful child. So when we speak of transformation here at Metro, we're not talking about a self-improvement plan. We're not talking about a community plan which would support people. But we're talking about an all-powerful resurrecting God, who can transform you into a new creation, a new person, and continue to transform you and your relationships with him and with others. So let's just take a moment to reflect and respond personally to God uh, in the midst of this message. If we believe that the God of the resurrection who raised Jesus from the dead after three days, we can believe that Jesus and God can do all things. Right now, perhaps there's something dead in you. You're not yet a Christian or you're a Christian, but you're not in a good place. Perhaps there's something that's dead in somebody that's dear and close to you. Let's just take a few seconds to shoot one of these our even desperation prayers. Thank God, this pretty much seems like an impossible situation. But I trust you that you're the God who is unstoppable. You can do anything. Sometimes with our cooperation. I pray right now For either my situation which seems impossible or the situation of some family member or some friend and believe in our hearts that the God of the supernatural resurrection can do all things. So feature number two, Jesus emphasizes Jesus's resurrection. Feature number three, Acts highlights the acts of the spirit, not of the apostles. Picking up with chapter four, uh, verse four of chapter one. On one occasion when he was eating with them, he, Jesus, gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In this particular context, Jesus was instructing his disciples, the woman and the 120 who were meeting in the upper room, to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, who would come on them and with whom they would be baptized. As a sneak preview to two weeks' time, this powerful outpouring of the Spirit happens on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit filled the room, filled the people in the room. They spoke in tongues. Peter preached a Spirit-filled sermon about the resurrected Jesus. 3,000 or so repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, received the Spirit of God, were baptized, and committed themselves to the church. These two verses remind us that the Holy Spirit is not just a nice little option to have in the church, but the Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity without which the church will not be the church. Sadly, uh, many churches today, hopefully not Metro, seem to function either by being ignorant or ignoring of the person, presence, and activity of the spirit. This New Testament book is commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles, but this is not a very accurate title. In fact, a more accurate title would be the Acts of Peter, chapters one through 12, and Paul, chapters 13 through 28. But as you read through the book carefully, and i'm sure that you'll agree with me as you will read through the book of acts a better and more accurate title of this book is the acts of the spirit as the holy spirit is the one guiding leading empowering the church so however inspiring we find the book of acts we must always remember that behind the powerful life of the apostles who may be our heroes or the church that we romanticize about, Luke emphasizes the necessary power of the Holy Spirit behind the apostles, behind the church. So from God's perspective, the story of Metro is not the acts of Peter on. It is neither, it is not also the acts of Pastor Peter and his successors, but the acts of the Spirit. So what does it mean for Metro to highlight the acts of the spirit. Well, let me tell you what it is not. It is not for us to focus on our superheroes or superstars. Why? Because it is tenuous to focus on human superstars and heroes, perhaps even tragic to focus on them, because they may fail and they may disappoint us. It means that in our small and large discussions and decisions, whether at the macro level of the church or the micro level of individual ministries or even our personal decision making, we ought to make time to invite the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us in what we do. As I said, we're going to be singing later on, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. But what does that mean? What does it mean for a church that highlights the acts of the Spirit? Well, we'll be learning more about that as we go through the book of Acts. But here are just a few from the first chapters of the first five chapters of Acts. One way that we can highlight the Spirit in our midst is be obedient to the spirit. Note in verse two, Jesus and the spirit says to the people, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. And they obeyed, they waited. They also use scripture wisely in making decisions, which we shall get to next week of the election of a replacement for Judas. And Peter actually gets up and says, the Holy Spirit says in scripture. So we know that scripture, the word of God and the Holy Spirit are definitely very closely related. The early church are also obedient to the spirit. When the spirit comes down in power on the day of Pentecost, the room is shaken. Tongues descend. Um, as tongues of fire, which we see in the graphic there, you see fire coming with their heads. That's um, in reference to Pentecost. They obey Jesus by going out and declaring the good news about him. When Peter and John are brought before the Jewish Supreme Court and ordered not to preach about Jesus, it says that Peter, filled with the spirit, began to be very bold. Later on in the chapter, as they get released and being a little, being somewhat shaken because this is the first time they've had an encounter with the state and they're threatened. It says that they prayed and this, again, it said the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They basically said, regardless of what happened to us, we are going to continue to declare the message of Jesus. And then also, too, the incident of Ananias and Sapphira being struck dead, Peter said, Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And so when we invite the Holy Spirit to be with us, we are inviting ourselves to be holy people because the Holy Spirit resides in us and the Holy Spirit does not want to live in a dirty uh, temple. And we ought to take sin seriously. So, Acts highlights the acts of the Spirit. And finally, Acts focuses on Jesus's mission, not others' agendas. Picking up at verse six, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father set on his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? this same Jesus whom you have taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him going to heaven. We see here the disciples agenda was a nationalistic Jewish kingdom of Israel waiting to be inaugurated. Okay, Jesus, the suffering Messiah had died. And so uh, they're over that. Now they're looking for the conquering political Jesus. Um, that the reigning Messiah and secretly they had plans of so what our place is going to be in your kingdom and Jesus' loving response is in effect you dumb bunnies the answer to that question is none of your business your mission is to not is not to make charts or timetables regarding the kingdom Your mission is not to satisfy your selfish ambitions to discover what your future position in the kingdom will be. Your mission is not the kingdom of me, all about me, or the kingdom of us, but your mission is the kingdom of God. And your mission is to live the spirit-empowered life you have received and be witnesses of the good news of Jesus. And this is also our own mission. We probably have a, a map of Palestine that will be um, shown there. And basically, um, Acts 1, eight gives a very good summary of the book, as you probably um, notice. Um, there is Jerusalem down here. Jerusalem is in the province of Judea and the adjoining province is Samaria, and then of course the the ends of the earth means everywhere else. So if you actually look at the plan of Acts 1 verse 8, you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem. That occurred in Acts chapter one through seven between 33 to 35 AD. Then persecution drove them out after Stephen was martyred by stoning. So in all Judea and Samaria, Uh, It's covered in Acts chapter 8 through 12, happening about 35 to 48 A.D. And then to the ends of the earth, beginning with the first missionary journey from the church in Antioch and following chapters 13 through 28, which happened roughly between 48 to 62 A.D. So applying this passage to ourselves, what is our Jerusalem? Well, our Jerusalem is either Inglewood, in which the church is, or the hometown in which we live. All Judea, perhaps Bergen County or New Jersey. All Samaria, perhaps the rest of the states, maybe including Canada, maybe Mexico, and then to the ends of the earth worldwide. So that's how this really applies to us. From the book of Acts, it is very clear that the mission of the church is to be witnesses everywhere of the good news of Jesus. Proclaiming the message of salvation through Jesus and also living it out in our lives. This means that we don't sell out to the right by just preaching words about vertical reconciliation with God. This means that we don't sell out to the left merely involved in activities of horizontal reconciliation with other beings. Our mission is to focus on both vertical reconciliation with God and horizontal reconciliation with others. Our mission is to focus on the temporal now as well as the eternal future aspects of the kingdom, present and future. Our mission is to seek God very clearly Together, because the Holy Spirit is given to all of us, not just the pastors or the leaders or staff, to determine so, what's God's overall mission for His church? And we're pretty clear on that. And then, what's God's unique spiritual DNA on Metro and what is His plan and purpose and mission for us? The ultimate mission, we know, of the church is to proclaim Jesus crucified, resurrected, to call people to repentance and faith, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be baptized, and then to commit themselves to a Christian community. The ultimate mission of the church is also to give this twofold salvation message. It is not merely in words about the good news, without loving actions of the good news. Neither is it just loving actions of the good news without words, but both. As we're reminded in the rest of the New Testament by books like Romans and James, we're saved by faith alone, but by faith that is not alone. We're saved by faith that works, We're saved by faith and not works, but by faith that works. And by the way, if we're sitting there thinking, I'm far too busy to be involved in Jesus' mission, that means you're just too busy, or you're too busy with wrong priorities that need to change. Yes, part of our fulfillment of the mission is to invite or friends who don't know Jesus to attend service and to hear the message and to experience community, but that's just a small part of what it means to be witnesses. Recently, I've been having some serious discussions with the Lord um, based partially because I've I've reread Acts and also because I celebrated a birthday recently. Uh, and two of these discussions have centered around two verses in Acts. Uh, God's vision for the church inside, I mentioned, Acts two forty-two, and God's mission for the church outside in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And um, so here's one relevant personal and community word that I heard from God as I spent some time with him, and, and there are several more, but I, I just mentioned one. I heard God saying, I see Jesus's continuing work in you personally, as well as in the community, not in terms of quantitative and qualitative success, but in terms of submission to my spirit and commitment to Jesus's mission. And as well, and I was reminded of that recently, as um, you know things are starting up again for the fall, and um, you know all the ministries um, need people to, to to lead or to help. And um, I must say that I, I have been encouraged by some of you stellar, faithful people who, who lead small groups. I won't mention their names because I may forget some. And if I mention your name, you may lose your help and award, so I, I won't mention names. But I've been encouraged by some of you who have been faithful over the years. You know who you, you, know who you are. Um, I, I, I must admit that I've been a little discouraged um, because given the life stage of some of our people, uh, you're multiplying now and you're having your first or your second kid and so you know, you're not available. And some of you are in a sandwich generation where you have to look after both your kids and your parents. Um, but then there are others of us maybe. Um, this is not a priority. And I says, God, what do you want me to do in fulfilling this purpose of the church? And basically, I heard him say, be alert to the spirit always. Persevere in multiplying leaders and identifying them. Focus on the priority of having a church not with small groups, but a church of small groups and just continue to be faithful. And then also, something that I'm not very strong at is that of personal evangelism. And he said, I want you to be more intentional about your being a good witness. So whether it's going to the guard shack in your neighborhood complex and chatting people up, but also being salt and light there. And also, as we get involved in our jack stuff, to be more intentional about not just being uh, good social action, but social action which shows that we have substance as to why we're doing what we're doing. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe as you have been meeting with God, the Spirit of God has been prompting you to be more alert to other stuff. The Spirit of God may be prompting you About how you can be more faithful to Jesus' mission. So the question is what has God been saying to you recently? And how are you going to respond to Him? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're the Lord of history. Thank you for the exciting life of the early church, who while they were not perfect, while they fell and stumbled, they were a church that welcomed your spirit, that allowed your spirit to work powerfully in them. They were committed your mission. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would not just merely be given lip service in our lives and in the life of our church, that your spirit would not even just be resident, but your spirit would be president of our lives and of our church. So thank you for the way that you have spoken to each of us and thank you for the way that we will be on high alert to your spirit and the way in which we will respond personally and the way in which we will respond as a church community to your call to be a people of your spirit, to be a people of your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. if you can turn to your communication card there are a few potential next steps for you next step number one I'm committing my life to the resurrected Jesus for the first time and if you have done so we encourage you to stop by the next table where there is a bible and some little booklets that help you start on the journey of being a Christ follower who is transforming. Next step, number two, I'll be alert to the presence prompting and power of the spirit in my life this week. This means that if we have been suppressing the voice of the spirit, we need to be obedient. It also means that we're not just listening this week but we're listening to this as a lifestyle. Next up, number three, I will engage in specific acts of Jesus' mission, whether in Inglewood or my hometown this week. Number four, I will explore where specifically I will engage more sustainably in Jesus' world mission. It could be Zameli, it could be world vision, it could be something else. Five, I will start reading through Acts, at least Acts 1, 12 through 26, before next Sunday. Six, I will sign up for Connections Dinner on September 16th. And if I could just throw in a seventh one, I will be part of a worship gathering on Saturday, September 15th.